Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Cobb Blazer, joining you on another Baseball America Facebook Live and podcast here on a uh, very pretty Tuesday in North Carolina. And a very exciting day as we have yet another significant prospect promotion. Right-hander Mike Soroka, one of the top pitching prospects in the game and one of the top pitching prospects in a very deep Braves uh, farm system, is headed up to Atlanta, will be, well, headed over, he's in Gwinnett, so he's in a suburb of Atlanta already, but headed over to, uh, to pitch for the big league team tonight. And so we're going to analyze that. Before we do that, though, we do want to remind you and thank you that uh, our podcast and Facebook Lives are brought to you by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. You can visit Baseballism.com, and if you enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, you can get 20% off your order. You get shirts. I uh, broke out. I went, went old school today. I brought back out the uh, Turn 2 one. I actually uh, was wearing this one uh, a couple weeks ago, kid's birthday party, and three different parents were like, what does that shirt mean? Which basically, <laughs> and then you have another parent come in and go, I'm a baseball fan. I know exactly what that means. So that's what you get with baseballism. Uh, if you don't like to talk to other people, well, maybe then don't wear the Turn 2 shirt. But uh, if you do, like I do, then it's a, it's a nice little conversation starter. But Kyle, we have Mike Soroka coming up tonight. Uh, the Braves have a couple of pitching injuries, so they already had one pitching injury with Anibal Sanchez going on the DL with a uh, hamstring injury. And then to follow that up, Julio Tehran left his most recent start. And so they... Yeah, Luis Gohar would doubt the early right. beginning of the season. So, and so what's happened is Matt Whistler's come up and filled one of those spots and pitched well. Uh, relatively well, and then now they need another guy, and so what? Who they turn to? And we're going to have to, I believe, have a roster move here because I don't think Soroka was on the forty man. But uh, so we're going to see they're going to make a move, and Mike Soroka is starting tonight. What should we expect from Mike Soroka? Again, he's a twenty year old kid making his first major league start, so it's very possible that things go sideways. You can be the greatest prospect of all time, and you get out there under the lights, things go a little haywire, but. This is an individual, he's 20 years old. He's already shown himself to be mature beyond his years. You know, he's he's not just one of those young pitchers who could just throw hard. This is a guy who we've seen have secondaries, have command of the baseball. He's really advanced. When you look at other 20-year-olds where they are, I mean, not many are in the big leagues to begin with. He becomes well, he, the youngest. He's the youngest, the I was going to say. They're, they're literally will be at this moment, they're all, they're, the three youngest players in the major leagues will be Mike Soroka, his teammate Ronald Acuna, and his teammate Ozzy Albies, which uh, if you are a Braves fan, considering where they are record-wise right now, you're probably as excited as you've been in a very long time. Absolutely. And Soroka, he's, look, he's always been young but advanced. He skipped high altogether, went straight to double A, was 19 years old, facing off against polished 23, 24-year-olds, owned him, went to AAA this year, was dominant at Gwinnett. Mike Soroka, there's very little doubt this guy will have a very successful big league career. Now, whether his first or second start, how it goes, we'll find out. But this is absolutely a real pitching prospect. Braves fans uh, should look forward to taking the ball every five days for years to come. I would say with Soroka, the, if there, again, this is not a knock on him. If there is a knock, the Braves have pitchers who have a chance to be, uh, had to have a higher upside than Soroka because... What Soroka has, though, is, 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 is probably, and it's weird to say this with a 20-year-old, it's probably one of the safest pitching prospects in baseball because not only has he always been able to not just survive but thrive against much, much older competition, but 
he has it's it's a varied repertoire he doesn't really it, it's not something where if this pitch isn't working for him tonight uh, oh he's in trouble it's not something where he loses control for large stretches he usually is is locating very well he's been durable durable so far and and another thing is is that his fastball is not a top of the scale fastball but it also is a little bit better then when you see it tonight, you probably go, that's a little better than I thought it was. Because you'll see if he needs to, he has more velo in there. It's just a, a matter of that he's not a guy who's airing it out every pitch. He really knows how to pitch. I remember a few years ago talking to him after a, a spring training outing. He was 18 at the time. He was just coming off of his uh, debut in the Appy League. And usually, again, I don't want to you know make it a cliche, but 18-year-old pitchers, have a lot of that they're usually starting to figure out, and they're trying to figure out. Mike Soroka, I just asked him one question, and he basically explained like when he was looking at it in his offseason, and he really had uh, struggled against left-handed hitters the year before in the Appy League, and so he had messed with a couple of things. He changed where he lined up on the rubber. He wanted to do because he really thought that he was too much of giving lefties only one look. It was a way, away, away. He needed a way to get into him. It went on, this soliloquy went on for a while, but really what it stood out, and we've seen this when we talked to him at the prospect pad, when we talked to him at games, this is a guy who really analyzes his craft and has been thinking about this for a very long time, which it's one of those things that you, you kind of say, that is something that often is an uh, encouraging factor uh, for a pitcher. I, there's, he's a guy, give me data. I want data. I'm going to soak up that data. I'm going to improve based off of that. And, and so to me, you know, you mentioned other guys with higher upside, but I think we sometimes define upside as just, oh, he can touch this with his velocity. To me, no, it, the, upside, the upside of a guy who's 93, four pitches, that smart, that advanced, I'll take that upside over someone who throws 98 with two pitches and doesn't quite get all the things. I'd still say the guy with 98 with two 70s or 80s has higher upside. If he has two 70s to go with, yeah. that. if he has one, no, no, he's, saying, he's, he's, he doesn't but, know how to pitch. That's right. a different story. But that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is this. The Braves have other guys. Kyle Wright could, when it's all said and done, have two or three 70s in his arsenal. Mike Soroka doesn't have that. Um, Luis Gohara has shown at his best. He's got one, that's for sure. Two. Slider. I would say the, you know, the, the fastball. No, I'm so sorry. Right? Yeah. Beyond the fastball. Yes. The so, he's got, so he's got two 70s or better at his best. At his best last year, he was the as hard a throwing as any starter in the left. You know, in the main no left team starter in the majors. And had that. So that's what I'm saying. They, they've got guys who, if it all comes together, they could be. Because, you know, again, when we talk about the long time. We talk about Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, at his best, has at least two 70s to 80s. Uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner. Corey um, Kluber. Corey Kluber. And what, so when we're talking about that is that that's like that absolutely top of the rotation, Justin Verlander, for many, many years. I, I would say that Mike Soroka, I, we've always written him up as, as being a, a very, very comfortable saying him being a number three, maybe he's a number two. And we mean that in a way that that's really, really, really good. Talk about a high school right-handed, a high school right-hander. That is a heck of an outcome. Right. I, and this is nothing as Colby Allard, but we've always talked about Colby, especially in recent years, talk about Colby Allard, who's also in that Gwinnett rotation, and is also having a good success in AAA as a twenty-year-old. But Colby Allard doesn't have a two-three upside. I mean, he just doesn't. He doesn't have the pitches to to really kind of match up as a future two slash three. Soroka has that. And I, one last question with this before we take some questions is, is um, we look at this Braves team right now. You look at them, and 
I guess I kind of ask, like, how real is this? They're right there in the mix. So before the season, I think I was going, I picked the Braves to finish second in the NL East in our personal predictions that we put out. And for me, it's because I think the NL East was going to be down. Now, given I made that prediction before the Phillies signed Jake Arrieta, but I still held on to it. And I do think the Braves, when you look at, there were some pieces already there. We saw Ozzy Albies. Dansby Swanson had his rough year. This was going to be his bounce back year. You still saw Tehran, Newcomb, when Gohar gets back. So you already had talent there. And Ender and Ciarte, Freddie Freeman are established stars. And then you have this wave coming up. The Braves didn't need a wave of nine guys to come up for them to be good. They needed, they had a good little group that had made it. They needed this next group of three, four guys to come up, take that step. And especially in a weak division, and especially when you thought the one team who would be a runaway winner, the Nationals, are scuffling. I think this is Teams sustainable. Teams get rid of Dusty Baker often do this. I, I feel like the Braves, I do think this is sustainable. Again, before the year, I picked them to finish second in the NL East. And I did mention on social media, if you told me they were the team this year that the rebuild paid fruit a little earlier and they got that sneaky wild card like we saw the Twins get, like we saw the Astros get in 2015, I absolutely believed it. And I think the Braves right now, if, you, if they go 88-74 and 74 and are in wild card contention, that should shock nobody. Uh, the other thing that I would say with that, Mike, Mike, is that their lineup, which I don't think will stay this good, but their lineup, they have more guys to build around now. Bozzi Albee's taking this massive step forward to, a, to another level. Freddie Freeman still being Freddie Freeman. Ronald Acuna is stepping in and kind of being what we expected, which is he steps right in and it's like, you know, this is probably the third or fourth best guy in this lineup right now. They've really, it, it does look like a team that may have some staying power and obviously also has... The depth for when there's injuries, like Mike Soroka coming up, but also the depth that as they need to make moves during the season, trade should not be a problem. Before we got a lot of questions we're going to get to, and we appreciate them. Before that, though, I do want to, you had your three up, three down came out today. And with that, so Josh Hader, who was our top lefty, I believe, in our top 100 last year. Yep, number one left-handed pitching prospect in the game going into 2017. So it's interesting a few years ago, we would look at it and say, wow, he's pitching out of the pen. This is something where, you know, it's, it's kind of disappointing. You kind of hoped he would be a starter. And I don't know if you can say that right now because Josh Hader is pitching out of the pen. But And that was always the kind of the knock that maybe Josh Hader ends up as a reliever. But if you're going to be a reliever who does this, who cares? Right now, what Josh Hader is doing for the Brewers is more valuable than what a lot, a lot of number four and five starters are doing in the big leagues. And we've seen that with him. We saw it with Archie Bradley a year ago where it used to be this outcome of top pitching prospect, ends up in the bullpen, it's a failure. And, and look, Archie Bradley, it was because he was a failure. Correct. But um, I, I think at the end of it, but seeing that that's the ultimate outcome, they can still do tremendous things for your team. The, the Pirates finally have moved Tyler Glass onto the bullpen because they realize that's the only way this is going to work. And he's been better, not good, but been better. Uh, but Josh Hader, I mean, he's faced, after last night, you know, eight Ks, eight outs. He's faced 250 batters in his major league career. He's struck out 107 of them. And it's not like he's doing that, but he's also giving up a walk and two hits in between. He's got a sub-2 ERA. He's blowing everyone away. He's going and getting these two and two-thirds, these three-inning you know, saves, or even not, in some cases not saves, but just that bridge from, okay, Zach Davies or Chase Anderson gave us five and two-thirds good ones. How are we going to get to Corey Knable? Hey, Josh, just give us three innings. Okay, no problem. I mean, that yeah. is so tremendously valuable for a team. Not just him, but also long run, keeping the bullpen fresh, not having to cycle through the arms and burn them all out by April, June, July. I do think Josh Hader right now, you know, the list of best relievers in the game, he's on the short list. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I, I, I would completely agree. Uh, we've got a lot of questions here, so we're going to get to some of them. Uh, Joshua Bettenker asks, uh, are you guys impressed with Joe Denand? Is he a possible top 100 prospect in the future? I'm going to start off by saying, you know, the I, if you don't know who Joe Denand is, is pretty much the shorthand for him is, is, and maybe one day he'll not be this, but it's Alex Rodriguez's nephew, because that's kind of the uh, the first... That's the first sentence in the Joe Denan scouting report right now, pretty much without fail. Um, but off to a great start as a pro. Uh, you know, NC State uh, a draftee from last year who has hit everywhere he's gone. He was sent to the FSL last year and hit at the end of the year. Back in the FSL this year, and last I checked, let me look at it, but uh, 317, 398, 512. Yes, I mean, I, I'm not saying he's there yet. He's not. But there is nothing there if he keeps this up because there are, you know, there, there, there are, I think he's going to be a third baseman long term. I don't think that's going to be an issue. Uh, the guy is hitting. If, if he can keep that up. Bloodline's performance. Why yeah. not? So, no, he is one of the uh, better stories in the uh, Marlins organization so far uh, as far as kind of how he's producing. Uh, another question. So Joey Triplicata asks, Acuna, Acuna, Albies, Soroka, three youngest guys in the majors? Yes, uh, I think the order is Soroka, Acuna, Albies, but those are the three youngest uh, in the uh, in the majors right now, which not often you see all the three on one team. Scott Colzer asks, sleeper prospects in the Royal system. Is it really as barren and worrisome as it seems? The answer is yes to the second question. It is worrisome because, I mean, the big league team has been worse than anyone could have expected. They looked like they were a team that was definitely not a playoff contender, but at the same time had made enough moves to avoid being the worst in the American League. And right now, that's not the case. Right now, they are. And I will say, no, this is not a, uh, I would say, a very deep system right now. The thing it does have, we have seen some encouraging starts. Speaking of guys moving to the bullpen, Josh Stalmont, who the Royals tried starting for multiple years, they put him in the bullpen. He's throwing 100 mile an hour gas. He's striking out everyone when he doesn't walk, and that that's that altogether works better coming out of the pen than it did when he was a starter. Um, Khalil Lee, I, I think, is a very intriguing outfield prospect, having a good start in a very difficult place to play in Wilmington. Um, Nick Prado off to an okay start. MJ Melendez is the guy to watch. Suli Matias has been off to a very solid start. Very toolsy outfielder is in low A. So there are some pieces. Pitching-wise, I don't think there's a whole lot of guys to really hang a hat on right this now. This coming draft's going to be important. The Royals have five of the top 58 picks. And the, they, big, the biggest bonus. This is going to be a huge, huge draft for the Royals to get back onto you know, the right track. Yes. Now, I mean, they should be able to do a lot. The interesting thing is, is they do not draft particularly high. They have, so it's really weird. Like usually the team that has the biggest bonus is a team that has one of the top five picks and then some extra picks. And so what happens is, is you take a guy, you know, your top pick, and then you try to float a couple of guys to your later picks. The Royals have to kind of be sitting there hoping. A, pick the, until, uh, the Angels are 17, so the Royals are 16 or 16 18. or 18. It's right there, that middle range. But then they pick again multiple times because they had the free agents that they lost. Uh, Eric and they had a competitive balance pick. So you put that together, the Kane and uh, Hot, the Kane and Hosford picks and the competitive balance picks, 
and they have they they get to pick a lot in a short period of time. So lot that they are going to be a team that kind of controls a lot of the draft, which will be kind of fascinating to see. And it is a very important draft for them because they they you look ahead and you go, there's not a whole lot of guys that you hang your hat on for 2020 and beyond, although Jorge Soler's emergence this year gives them a little hope that maybe he's one of those guys. Um, but uh, this is a team that's going to need a lot of, of, of additions. Over It'll the next be few many years. years of adding prospects. This draft is the first step. This one draft alone is not going to fix everything. You need to hit this draft, next draft, the draft after, get the international signs. A lot has to happen right. for the Royals to bounce back. Uh, so um, now we have also Michael Lewis asking, thoughts on the return of Chris Paddock? Chris Paddock, uh, Padre, former Marlins Padre, now Padres prospect, got back on the mound last night for Lake Elsinore. His uh, first start in a year and a half because yep. he recovered from Tommy John. It's actually even longer. It's 21 months 21. because it happened in July. Then you have yeah. two off-seasons. Paddock has always had tremendous, tremendous success everywhere he's been. It's been video game numbers. Last night, uh, reports where he was 90 to 93, touch 95, so the velocity's back where it was. Changeup is still a deadly weapon. I think with Chris Paddock, it's really just about health. Even before his TJ, he missed uh, the first part of his first full season with what was described as uh, some shoulder and biceps tendonitis. Then he pitched for six weeks. Then he has TJ. Uh, even during last fall, he actually had a little bit of a setback. Now look at the setback happened early in fall, so you can mm -hmm. sit him down. He's still back out on time. But when he's been on the mound, he's done nothing but impress. Even in camp, talking to some Potters officials, they were saying he looks really, really good. It's 90-95. It darts, and it just kind of has that late explosion through the zone. Like, it's already hard, but it just seems to get an extra gear as it uh, crosses the plane. So I think right now for the Padres, A, on one hand, you shouldn't be surprised that Chris Paddock did what he did because it's what he's always mm -hmm. done. It's also incredibly encouraging. But there also just needs to be a little bit of, okay, he's our, a guy with big injury issues. We have to keep in mind that the average, uh, I believe uh, the average return from Tommy John is about 100 innings over a guy's career. And the injury red flags have been there for Chris Paddock. Just have to hope and, you know, hope he stays healthy. But this is what he can do. He is a he would be a top 10 prospect in one of the best systems in baseball, if not for his injury history. He is that talented. The interesting thing with him that I'm going to be fascinated to watch going forward, as you said, it's a fastball changeup combo that's really, really good. The breaking ball is, is definitely his third pitch. Fastball changeup starting pitchers, it's not, it's become more common. I think the Cardinals probably have done it more than anyone, but it is still something that is less common and is something that and that's when the curveball was sort of on the come when he went down. You start to see, hey, maybe it's starting to show a little bit of something here you can work with. And then TJ happens. Right. You so we got to see how it comes along. Right. Uh, Lenny Torres Sr. Uh, asked, the Northeast finally got season going for the most part. Is this last five-week stretch more than enough time to make jumps? Uh, I think he has a, a, a reason to ask that because Lenny Torres Jr. is one of the best pitching prospects in high school, the high school class, but especially in the Northeast. Um, we actually have a story we're working on right now on this, and we were kind of focusing it on the upper Midwest and the Northeast and just how it does make it difficult because this is a year where that season's been even more compressed because we still saw snow in early to mid-April. I actually think for a guy like Lenny Torres, it's actually a little easier than it is for, say, a guy like Wisconsin outfielder Jared Kelenic because with a pitcher... You know you're going to see him this one time. You know, you're going to see this outing of the week. And 
with that, you kind of get a good look and he has multiple innings to kind of show you, you know, kind of get into form if he's a little rusty or whatever. Whereas for a guy like Kelnick, let's say that you are a team, you know, picking in the top 15 and you get your GM in for a look at Jared Kelnick and he goes 0 for 4. And that's the lone look that you get because you only have like three weeks before your draft meetings that Kelnick's on the field. And let's say he's a little rusty right now because he hasn't been out playing against and he's a little, he's a little over aggressive because he only has these few weeks. I, I think that's tougher on a guy like that compared to, say, the many, the many prospects we have, say a Bryce Turang who has been out on the field in California for our, since late February. Since late February and uninterrupted. Right. And so it does make it tougher. I, I do think it is something that absolutely I, I, plays I, a part. I will say I do feel like we do see every year guys who with really strong finishes, independent of whether, hey, this guy had a great state playoffs, this guy had a great, you know, last few weeks. So while it is an abbreviated time frame, it certainly would not be unheard of for one of these kids to have a great final four weeks and scouts say, hey, if this is what he can really do now that he's getting to play regularly, he does raise in their, in their eyes. A little bit at least, but the, the thing that runs into also, the, and these are the, the, the Kellenics, the Lenny Torreses, those guys, it's, it's one thing because everyone's going to make efforts to get in for them. But when you ask to me why you see these, and a lot of times they end up at SEC schools, they end up at ACC schools, but these, these guys these, who are playing at a high school in Minnesota or Wisconsin or in the Northeast, and they get to college, and then they really blow up as a college pitcher, I think a lot of that does come back to, if you are a guy who's, let's say that you're projected as a 5th to 10th round pick, or as 4th to 6th, it is harder for a cross-checker, or a, you know, and those guys have to be cross-checked. Teams just nowadays don't take a 4th round or a 5th rounder based on an area scout's recommendation. The you top, are top 7 rounds, it's pretty much all cross-check guys. And you just have a much smaller window to get to see those guys. Because let's say that you have planned for a cross-checker to come in on this Wednesday and rain happens or something happens and that game gets wiped out. Getting them back in to see them is really hard. Like, uh, we also have uh, 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 up in the Northeast, Mike, uh, I'm going to say Vassal and I'm probably, but we have, you know, if you have a guy, who a pitcher who has an injury and misses a couple of weeks, well, Ethan Hankins missed some time, but he still had good about a time in Georgia to get back on the mound. It's a little tougher. You know, Bo Blessy's back on the mound in Texas. He's got some time to get. But if you go down in the first two weeks of the season in the Northeast or the Upper Midwest, by the time you're back on the mound, well, I'm sorry, we're having the draft. So those kind of things also gets a little tougher than it does. There is There are disadvantages that are unavoidable. At the same time, those are why... Uh, a guy who's playing in Illinois or, you know, in New Hampshire or whatever, when you say projectable on that, there's a lot more projection than there is for a guy who's coming out of Southern California or Texas or whatever because they've played a lot more. Uh, a lot more. Um, also, uh, Michael Lewis asks, any update on Alec Hansen or Nate Pearson? Either of them close to taking the mound? Um, I have an Alec Hansen update. He is actually um, getting on the mound in extended spring, so we're not too far away. I have not heard of Nate Pearson update. I haven't heard, but we have seen a lot of guys. You know, Ryan Mountcastle's on the DL. He hasn't gone out yet. Jorge Guzman just got out. Albert Abreu just got out. Mitchell White hasn't gone out yet. So I think sometimes 
there's a little bit of panic. Oh, why isn't our guy out? It's not that uncommon to see, you know, the first month guys are held back and extended, sometimes even for the slightest of reasons. I think once you start getting into June, if they're still not out, then there's a little bit of concern. But to not be out on May 1st is okay. Jay Groom, another one who, you know, we, we were talking, we have a top 100 uh, prospects update coming out. And that's kind of what we're talking about it is, is right now, guys who have missed the first month of the season with especially pitchers with my, what are termed to be minor injuries, we largely kind of give that a pass. Yeah, if you get to if you're not back on the mound by June 1st for what's a minor injury, well, that's in some ways become a more it's major a, it's a red flag. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily being cut on is a much more a bigger red flag. But you every now and then team says, "Oh, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine," but he hasn't thrown in uh, in ten weeks. Red flag. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, we know some guys. Franklin Perez has, uh, you know, uh, if I'm a resident, right, right. so we know like non-disclosed. Oh, right. it's just an extended working through some things. Right. But what you are saying is, is I mean. We are already at this moment. Time does fly. We're coming up on a... Guys are getting to 100 at-bats in the minor leagues. We are talking about you are reaching the point where a fifth of the season is in the rearview mirror, and which is crazy to think. But so you turn around, by the end of May, you are talking about, okay, we're 40% of the way through this season. Here we go. You are losing, at that point, significant time. Again, for a lot of pitchers, it's not... That crushing because a lot of them are being held on 100 inning limits or, or less in some cases. But it is still something that, that definitely uh, plays a part. And we'll wrap it up with this one. Kurt Mack, pretty simple one, pretty easy one. Uh, Kyle, who is your top prospect right now? Ronald Acuna is still eligible right now. I mean, Acuna was from the you know, beginning of the year. I was you know part of the Acuna over Otani. Both of them look really good. Fantastic. Again, with the understanding that both are potential game, you know, franchise-changing talents and both look to be here in the early going. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like you have to stick with Acuna at this point. But if you're saying best in the minors, I would say it's this Vlad. is the easiest, it's easiest, easiest discussion we've had in a long time. When we talked about coming into the season, it was there was Acuna and there was Otani and there was Vlad and then there was there's some other really good prospects in the game, but it's a drop. I... Eloy Jimenez versus Vlad. I want Eloy Jimenez, and it's not to me. Eloy versus Vlad, you mean? You said, like, the best guys in the minors. Like, there's a gap to me between Vladimir Guerrero and the next best in the minors. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. So I think you reversed yeah. the names there first. But, yeah, no, Vlad's, Vlad is clearly the best player in the minors right now. He's got a bright future. Just uh, see how quickly he can get to the majors. Which, by the way... I think it'll be faster than everyone seems to think. He's. I think that's becoming quick. almost the conventional wisdom now. We keep talking about... Oh, he'll get there like 19, like it's, you know, no big, like it's expected. Which, if we take a step back, it's pretty crazy. That we're talking about a guy who'll be 19, major league ready, as if, you know, I don't know, as, as if it's just the standard. It's right insane. now, as we sit here, it's 380, 442, 582... As a 19-year-old in Double A, where it's been freezing in New Hampshire, by which, the way. by the way, right now as it stands, I know he only has two home runs, but um, at this moment, if you said who's going to be our minor league player of the year, and again, four fifths of the season to go, keeps that up, it's going to be uh, uh, pretty hard for anyone to beat that because a 19-year-old hitting 380 in Double A. I'm going to be fascinated to see what the Blue Jays do, because the Blue Jays have been surprisingly competitive here in the early going, if they keep it up, the tack they take. Now, I think they hope they have to make that decision in July that, hey, we're still competitive. We can have this option. It'll be interesting to see. Again, if they fall out of the race, which they very well might, things change. But it's made for an interesting dynamic, I think, just the hot start they've been off to. 
I, again, the other thing that just blows me away with Vlad is, is right now 10 walks, 10 Ks. For his career, 119 walks, 107 strikeouts. For a guy who has been two to three years or four years ahead of schedule as far as what you talk about average age of these leagues, Vladimir Guerrero has, I don't, he probably has yet to face a pitcher his age at any stop, if with the exception of maybe when he was in Bluefield. You know, when he was in Bluefield, he was a 17-year-old Bluefield, which is really young for the league, for the Appy League. But maybe, there was some other maybe 17 Maybe in, like, May at Lansing, he might have faced one or two. You know, someone gets sent out from, from yeah. extended spring, but not many. Yeah, it is something where it, it is remarkable. And, by the way, uh, his teammate, Bo Bichette, also, you know, top 10 prospect, really, really good. But but to answer that is is that, yes, at this point, I, I do think it's it's pretty clear that the best prospect who's currently in the minors is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I don't think there's really much of any debate in our in our office about that. Agreed. So that is uh, another fun Facebook Live podcast here with Baseball America's Kyle Glazer. And I'm happy to join you here, JJ Cooper. We do thank you for tuning in today. We do uh, thank you for all the questions. We do also want to thank you to say thank you to Baseballism. Today's podcast and Facebook Live was sponsored by Baseballism. Visit baseballism.com for the best apparel in baseball. And here the code BASHIP, B-A-S-H-I-P, and get 20% off of your order. For Kyle Glazer, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.